um, I found. Not you know, some of them don't, but some of them do. So I would ask the question because their engineers are definitely going to have calculated that in before they put that product on the market. Okay. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, now we've got Catherine from Colorado on the line. Not something we like to deal with. Pest control. What is going on with the mice and the rats? Uh, well, the downstairs in the house, it's not finished. Uh, so somehow they're getting in downstairs, and I see little drop-ins, um, different places. So what I've been using so far is the those green pellets of poison. Yep. But I've heard from a friend that there's new products out there, the ultrasonic plugins. I wanted to get information about that, if you would know. Yeah, I would skip that. I think that's kind of junk science. So uh, I would skip any of those ultrasonic plug-in things. What you want to do is a couple of things. First of all, you want to eliminate nesting areas. So around the area of your house, if you have firewood, trash cans, debris of any sort that's anywhere near the foundation, those are nesting areas for rodents. You eliminate those. Secondly, you plug up any openings in the outside walls of that house. Now, mice need something the size of about a quarter or even less to get in. So any openings should be should be plugged. Uh, inside the house, you want to make sure that there's no food for them. So a lot of times people will make mistakes by providing food when they don't realize they're doing it. For example, I had a friend who used to keep uh, her pet food in the garage, and it was a big you know, sack, 50-pound, whatever it was, bag of pet food. Never really even noticed that the mice had dug themselves a nice little front door for this that wasn't obvious, and they were just getting a big meal every single day from the pet food. So look for things like that where, where food is being left out for them. Moisture is also very attractive to rodents, so water that collects the foundation perimeter can bring them in. And inside the house, I think you're doing the right thing using uh, the baits and the poisons because that's, they're very effective with most of the, the baits today. You know, for example, the decon, uh, one uh, hit of that, so to speak, it takes them out. I mean, it's just one and done. So I think all those things together is what's going to control and reduce the rodent population around this house. Okay, Catherine? Now we're heading to Missouri where Frank's on the line and has a question about moisture in a crawl space. What's going on? I had moisture built up in my crawl space on my joists. I built a brand new house and I have gravel on the ground and concrete walls with no vents in it. And it's solid moisture down there right now. Wow. Why why were there no vents put in the crawl space in the foundation walls? Because with a crawl space, you always vent it. Well, unless it's uh, foam insulation, and that's a different story. I have not had foam insulation installed yet in my crawl space. I am going to do that, but I got to get it dried up. There is a way to do this where basically if the crawl space is completely sealed and if you use expandable spray foam insulation like an isonine, uh, you do not have to vent. But if you're going to use fiberglass, then you do have to vent. Now, if the question is, how do I dry it out before I do the application? I guess you're going to have to do that conventionally. It's just with fans and dehumidifiers and things like that. You're going to have to wait for the weather to be right to do this. And, you know, that means it's going to have to be the driest time of the year when you have the least amount of condensation. And that's not going to be the winter weather or the cooler weather. It's probably going to be the summer. Uh, but I would talk with your insulation contractor, get them involved now, and get their recommendation on what the best time is to, to do this part of the project. But you do need to do it soon, one way or the other, because otherwise you're going to get that moisture is going to start to uh, cause the floor joist to decay and rot, and yeah. that's not going to yeah, be that's, that's not going to have a good out- outcome. Okay, no, so no, um, if you house. had right. By the way, one thing you could do in the meantime 
and this will help reduce the amount of moisture, and that is to put some uh, some plastic across that entire crawl space floor. You want to get some really thick, heavy plastic sheeting and roll it out. Uh, if you have to overlap, overlap by at least 10 feet those sheets, and that will stop a good chunk of the moisture that's emanating up from the soil below. You'll keep it underneath the plastic, and that will help it dry out faster because you won't be battling the new moisture that's coming in. Okay, then my other question, I did put plastic down first when before I got the house built, and then I put gravel on top of that. Should I remove huh. the plastic from the gr- underneath the gravel or leave no. it alone? No, nah, you can leave it alone. I mean, may, maybe if it was done that early, it might be busted up by all the gravel. But no, you don't have to worry about the layers in this case. Putting another layer of plastic on top of the gravel is not going to be a bad thing. I mean, you may end up removing it after you get the, all the insulation done, but... But if you're going to do that, you got to do it soon. Otherwise, you're going to get decay. You know, we're talking about the difference between a vented and an unvented crawl space. And the same applies to attics. You know, I used to have a vented attic, and I applied spray foam insulation to the underside of the rafters and across okay. the uh, the gable walls. And now I don't need any ventilation in that attic whatsoever. And it's the same temperature as the, as the rest of the house pretty much, even though it doesn't have heating or cooling up there, if I drop down the attic stair, it's it's basically like an extension of the rest of the house. So that's the kind of effect that spray foam insulation has. And in your case, it will also Our whole house is spray foam. Oh, so you understand this, though. Okay. Yeah, well, why did you leave the floor out of it if you had the guys there doing all that work? Why did you choose to not do the crawl space? I didn't know. Ah, okay. Yeah. Well, now you do. <laughs> yep. All now, right. You're saying well, go ahead, cover with plastic then. Yeah, I'm saying that if you put if you put additional plastic sheeting down over that over that gravel, and if there's moisture that's ev- that's basically evaporating up from the soil below, that will stop. That will help to slow it a little bit. I would get in touch with your insulation contractor and and figure out the best way to approach this, but you do need to get it done soon. All right, Frank. Oh, I will. Yes, sir. Thank you for calling me back. You're welcome. Good luck with that project. Thanks for calling us at eight at eight. Money Pit. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get socked with allergens too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. 
And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IAPMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U dot com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. MONEYPIT. Now we've got Joan in Illinois on the line who's dealing with a mold issue. Tell us about it, Joan. Well, I'm wondering what causes dry rot and how you can tell if you if you have it. Okay. Well, what are you seeing, Joan? Coming down to the floor, there's about an inch above, below the molding, and I took the carpet up, and I saw sawdust down there, and I wondered if it was dry rot. Right. So first of all, there's no such thing as dry rot. There's only wet rot. Wood that gets wet, it gets over 25% moist, can start to decay. Then if that wood also dries out, that's what people call dry rot. But it's really sort of a a misnomer because it's not really dry rot. It's wet rot that has dried out. Oh, so we can't cause it by overheating or underhumidifying a house. No. Well, not overheating, but if you if you overhumidify, I guess it's technically possible because you'd put a lot of water in there. But but no, you're not going to cause it by overheating. Now, in terms of what you're seeing under this molding, I think that would bear some further investigation. When you mentioned sawdust, I think about carpenter ants, for example. And so I, I would make sure that I know exactly what's causing this. One of the things that you could do is you could take a picture of it and you could post it to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the money pit. We'll take a look at it and give you an opinion. Uh, or you could post it to the community section at moneypit.com. How about that? That sounds great. All right, Joan, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Well, when you think of your roof, you don't necessarily think of designer colors, but color is where it's at when it comes to your roof, and the newest color trends for 2020 are here. That's right. Gray, you guys, which is a very popular color for interiors, is also expected to dominate exteriors this year. Super neutral color, and you can use it to anchor a lot of playful colors on the outside of your house for siding, shutters, trim, landscaping... Yeah, and green is also going to be a popular color for roofing because it's a confident color choice that blends well with some of the neutral tones like the gray that we just talked about, as well as the cream and the beige tones that are so popular in siding. Mm -hmm. And earth tones have always been a popular choice for your roof, and that's going to continue with green as another color that we'll see on your roof surface. Now, any of these color choices will help set off another trend, and that's the return of a solid white exterior. I love white exteriors. It's such a classic color. And finally, a trend that's always going to be current, roofing materials that help make your home more energy efficient. So a lot happening in the roofing business right now. If that's a project that you're planning for the year ahead, give us a call. We'll give you some tips. We'll talk it through. We'll try to figure out how you can save some money in that project. The number is one eight 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 Money Pit. 
Heading over to Florida, where Peter has lost power in the bathroom. Peter, what's going on, and can you see what you're doing? Yeah, I had a uh, GFI go bad, mm-hmm. and, and when I went to change it over, uh, for some reason, um, I couldn't get any juice to the receptacle underneath the sink. So I got juice to, to, to where I put the new one in, but... Uh, so I went down to Home Depot and listened to you folks all the time, and uh, I got a new one. And the gentleman over there told me to find, uh, you know, the hot wires go and put them on uh, on the receptacle where it says line, and then the other the other two uh, hook up on the bottom of it. Peter, do you know that the ground fault circuit worked properly and then it stopped working? Y- yes, sir. So it worked properly and it stopped working. Have you considered the fact that the ground fault circuit interrupter could be doing its job and then there could be a problem elsewhere in the circuit? Yeah, I didn't give a thought about that. No, I didn't. So I think that when ground fault circuit interrupters start to trip, people say, oh, it must be a bad circuit breaker. And they don't consider the fact that the circuit breaker is, in fact, doing its job, detecting a diversion of current to a ground source and tripping to prevent you from getting a shock. So the solution wouldn't be necessarily first to replace the ground fault. I would investigate further to see what exactly is happening and causing that to trip. I think, based on your description of, of what you've done thus far, that this might be just a little bit above your skill set. And while we can respect the fact that you're doing uh, this on your own, when it comes to electricity, you want to get it right. And if you were to miswire that, and in fact, perhaps you, you know, there are different ways to hook up ground faults. And if you do it one way, you can get it to trip and not protect the rest of the circuit. So it would appear to be working correctly when in fact it wouldn't. So I, this is not the kind of thing I would recommend that you do yourself, Peter, with all due respect. I would definitely have an electrician look at this because I suspect that the ground fault is doing its thing. They really go bad. And if it's tripping, it's probably tripping because something is going on elsewhere in the circuit. The ground faults will cover everything that's on that circuit. So if you had, for example, a loose wire somewhere down the line and that was causing uh, some sort of an arcing condition, that could trigger the ground fault to go off. So contact an electrician. This is the kind of job that you should not do yourself because I want to make sure that uh, the problem is what you think it is and it gets properly fixed. Peter, thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Penny in Illinois is on the line, and she's dealing with some frost on a meter. Tell us what's going on at your money pit. Well, we have a brand-new home, and the outside is where, like, the meter is and stuff like that. Well, cold air gets in that little pipe area and then comes into the basement and puts a patch of frost on the wall in the basement downstairs. And I was wondering if there was anything I can do to put something over that gas meter to protect it from getting so cold. You don't have to worry about the gas meter getting being protected because gas meters are meant to be outside in all sorts of, of weather. That said, though, if you're getting that kind of cold air in your basement, that's got to be causing you big energy losses. So I would try to seal those spaces where that cold air is getting in to try to keep that space as warm as possible because that is going to add to your heating costs. Okay, but I talked to the builder, and he said you really can't do anything inside because then you're looking at a fire fire hazard. Like, if you try to insulate inside, then there could be a a fire hazard there. What, in the basement? With basement wall insulation? I was thinking, like, by where the gas meter was. That's what I kind of... Well, but again, you don't have to worry about the gas meter. That said, you can insulate and you can can add insulation 
to exterior walls, and you certainly can add insulation near near a gas meter. It's not <laughs> it's not like it's a source of flame. Okay, it's a piece of equipment where, through which all the plumbing passes. But I mean, it's not like it, there's a there's a flame there. So if your builder is telling you that, it sounds to me like he's trying to get out of a project. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate right, your Penny. help on that. All right. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at eight eight eight. Money pit. Tell that guy to get to work. I will. <laughs> our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Now we've got Joe in Michigan who's dealing with a gutter issue. Tell us what's going on. Hey, this this roof I need some help with. Uh, I bought the house about eight years ago. It's got a good roof on it, but but it appears that they tried to save some money and have somebody do it. And what the problem is, is the shingles don't come out far enough from the top of the roof to get into the gutters. And there's a metal strip that goes along right at the bottom edge of the of the roof. And from what I see, it almost looks as though it's turned around backwards, as though if it was put in properly, it would extend out further to help get the water towards the gutters or into the gutters. Hmm, okay. So what the mess I've got now is I've got all this water that's, that's hitting some spots in the gutter properly and others not, and... I've tried to push the gutters and tap the gutters back up as far against the fascia as I can, and I'm still getting water through there, and it's frustrating. Well, the metal strip is throwing me a little bit. Now, typically, um, at the edge of the fascia, you'd have something called a drip edge, which is sort of like a a right-angle piece of trim that goes over the front of the fascia and up under the roof, and it's at a 90-degree angle. Is that kind of what you're seeing or not? I I had them install some aluminum over the fascia board, um, but I don't think that's what you're talking about. It's it's it is a channel of sorts, but it's it's right on the top the lip of the roof. If I'm explaining this right, you know where the, where they first start putting the the shingles on and then they start moving up forward. It's like right right at that edge. There's a there's metal. Are the shingles resting on top of the metal? Yes. Regardless, the solution here is the same. What you need to do is to extend those roof shingles into the gutter. So because there's not a magic potion that will do that. The way to fix this is to get a flat bar, and that's a very uh, thin pry bar, and you're lifting up the edges of those shingles at the bottom of the roof edge, and you're going to slip underneath some flashing. And the flashing that you would use is probably just aluminum roll flashing, maybe 6-inch or 8-inch wide flashing. And the easiest way to do this is in small pieces because it becomes too hard to handle when you have a long piece. And you run the flashing up under the roof shingles, and you make sure it extends past the roof shingles and lays into the top of the gutters. So essentially what you're doing is creating a bridge 
to make up the distance between where the shingle ended and where it really should have ended, which is at the edge of the gutter. And this way, when the water comes down the roof, it will drop from the shingle to the flashing to the gutter. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And that that sounds like uh, something I can do. So I appreciate you, and we'll give that a shot. Yeah, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Well, if you'd like to step up the counter space in your kitchen, adding an island is a great option if you've got the room. Well, no doubt about it, you do need space if you're going to add an island. And they're usually at least 24 inches by 36 inches, and that's at a minimum, you guys. I have seen some gigantic kitchen islands, but let's be realistic for the space you've got. Now, first of all, your kitchen island doesn't have to be made up of expensive cabinets. Instead, you can upcycle furniture like maybe an old dresser or a vanity. We're going to have some posts online that you can check out at moneypit.com that will show you how to find a great piece of furniture and turn it into an island. So check that out. Now, if your kitchen is on the smaller side, think about another option, which is using a mobile kitchen cart. These can be smaller than the island itself. These kitchen carts can greatly enhance your cooking space because they're compact, they're super versatile, and they come in various sizes, styles, finishes, configurations, and you can push them aside out of the way when you don't need them. Good point. But while it's hard to drop an island into an existing kitchen, designing an island into a new kitchen does make a lot of sense because that's when things can be moved around and shifted to really maximize that flow as well as the countertop and cooking and cabinet space. So don't move those islands off the possibility list. There's always a way to get one to work in your kitchen. And believe me, when you have a lot of folks that are helping in a really busy time or like in my house, whenever you have a party, everybody hangs in the kitchen. It really does come in handy. Jessica in Missouri is dealing with a floor that's sinking in on itself. What is going on over there? Hi, uh, I live in a 120-year-old house, and um, my kitchen floor has, like, uh, settled maybe um, in the middle. Um, Like, if everything is not, like, strapped to my walls, it will go towards the middle of my floor. Wow. Yeah, so I didn't know um, if you guys had any thoughts about um, a repair on that, if you think maybe it's like a... uh, a joist underneath there, or... Yeah, but it's just on a basement or a crawl space, Jessica. No, it's dirt. It's dirt. So you can't you can't really get under it? Um, I have a crawl space that I can get underneath it, but it's on the opposite side of my house. Okay, so can you get down there and physically examine the beams to see what's going on? Uh, yes, but it would take, like, the size of a small child to get underneath <laughs> there. Okay. <laughs> so there lies another problem is how to see what's going on, where the best place would be to go in at to try to get, you know, that. Listen, I had I had to do a, a, a plumbing repair project on my own home in a crawl space that was about six inches taller than me flat on my back. So I know how tough it is to work in spaces like that. you got to kind of shimmy in uh, to get there. But the thing is, I am concerned with the sagging that somebody has a look at that those beams to make sure there's nothing structural going on, like a termite infestation or something of that nature. If it's just normal sagging, well, I mean, there are some things that we can do from the top side to address that. One of which comes to mind is that you could use a floor leveling compound on this old floor. To do so, you're really talking about you know, the entire kitchen floor, including the cabinets, because to do it just in the middle you know, might not be enough. You really have to go 
you know, wall to wall on this room. And because it's a kitchen, it becomes very, very complicated to do that. But the first thing is to evaluate the structure to make sure that there's nothing going on there. Uh, and then the second thing is to look for a solution above it. It's generally not possible to raise up a floor that's already sagged, especially in a really old house, because it took 120 years to get in that position, and you're just not going to bring it back up again. Sometimes you can reinforce it a little bit with some additional beaming and stiffen it up a bit. But generally, if you want to level it, you got to do that from the top side and not from the underside in an old house. Okay? Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your guys' time. You're very welcome. All right, now we've got Ruth in Michigan on the line. How can we help you today? I have an older house that's in need of some pizzazz and wanted to put shutters over my vinyl siding. Is that possible, and how would I attach them? Yeah, it's done all the time, and there are special fasteners that are used in that situation so that you pierce the siding uh, without causing a leak to happen. And most of the shutter companies will sell those as part of the shutter too. So you certainly can do that. You do want to be careful not to squish the siding because remember the siding is, is somewhat soft. And so as long as you're careful about the way they attach, you certainly can have uh, shutters on top of vinyl. Okay, Ruth? All right. Well, good. I was um, wondering if it could be a do-it-yourself project. Absolutely. Ruth, thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, you may have noticed that homes that really stand out are the ones that have a little something extra at the end of their driveway. And I'm talking about a driveway marker. Now, there's an aesthetic reason, of course, to have one because they look nice. They set off your home from the street and they can set a tone that's just a notch above. But they can also help identify your home to anybody and everybody from delivery people to more importantly, first responders like fire, police and EMTs. Now, there are several types of driveway markers. You can use stone, brick, wooden, maybe a metal fence piece. You name it. The one that you pick, though, is completely up to you, but you should be taking your home style into consideration. So, for example, if you live in a modest colonial style, you don't want to be putting in giant columns on either side of your driveway. You really want to consider four things, the size, the material, the reflectors, so you can be sure it's seen, and, of course, the installation. You want to make sure your markers, no matter what material you use, are not going anywhere anytime soon. And also think about the fact that you could incorporate a mailbox or a newspaper receptacle into these, as well as add lighting or house numbers. But one of the most common types is simply a white picket fence style with just two simple corners on either side of your drive. You can use stock fence pieces. It makes the whole driveway stand out very nicely, and it's definitely a do-it-yourself project. Scott in North Dakota is on the line with a water heater question. What's going on? I got a cabin that we're going to remodel, and I was wondering if it's better to go with a tankless water heater or a tank one, because we got, well, we got a drain and everything in the winter, but I was kind of looking online and stuff, and the difference between them and the, the tankless ones only raise it a, a certain amount of temperature and uh up here, the groundwater is usually about 40 degrees. So, so first of all, we're talking about an electric water heater versus, versus an electric tankless? Correct. Yep, yep. Yeah. I would definitely go with an electric water heater, and I would install that water heater on a timer so that you can control when it comes on and off because, you know, especially being a vacation property, you're not going to want that on in the middle of the day. You're probably going to want to have on, come on for a few hours in the morning and a few hours in the evening. And that will save you a lot of costs. Well, great. That answered a lot of questions. 
All right, now we're talking to Georgia in Texas, who's got a question about tile flooring. How can we help you with your project? Uh, yes, I live in a house that my grandparents originally built back in 1950. The flooring in uh, in the kitchen is what I refer to as the old linoleum, a rubber-top linoleum is what I thought, but it is crumbling, and someone at a tile place told me it is probably asbestos because of the age of it. So I have been told, yes, I can rip it up and it's okay, or no, don't mess with it and put something over it, uh, like a um, cement board, and then retile. So this tile floor is located where? In the kitchen. And how old is the tile floor? It was put in in 1950. Well, if you want to determine whether there's asbestos in it, you'd have to take a piece of tile and have it tested. But if it's the original floor and you want to put a different floor over it, there's really no reason not to. I mean, laminate floor, for example, would be a good choice for a kitchen. And there's no reason you can't lay that right over the existing tile. Well, no, it is. It, it, it is literally cracking and crumbling. I mean, I trip over it every day, and another new piece goes flying across the floor. Uh, again, uh, what I would do is I would probably not t- tell you not to tear it up. It's most likely simply vinyl tile, but if you want to be safe, just leave it in place and go ahead and floor right over it. Okay. Well, I wasn't sure. You know, the, the, the flooring underneath it, the wood underneath it is still good. So, you know, I just wasn't, you know sure which way to go or how to go about it, you know, if I should go to the expense to put down the cement boarding and then put the, you know, on top of the floor, screw it down, and then, you know, put tile over on that. Well, why are you going to put the cement floor down? Are you going to put, are you going to put ceramic tile down? It'd be, it'd be nice. Um, I grew up calling it uh, Mexican tile or tile that's made in Mexico. Oh, okay. And, it, you know, it's, it's heavy and you, you've got to Cutting it, and you've got to work with it and stuff. Well, certainly, if you're going to do it that way, you could put the the uh, the board underneath the tile, right on top of the floor. There's no reason you couldn't do that as well. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Don't forget, you can always post your question to us at the Money Pits page or on our Facebook page. And I've got one here from Bob in New York who writes: We had our house painted a few months back, but there's a problem with the paint on the trim. You can easily scrape it off with your nail. Now, the painter says they want to wait and see because paint can take a year to harden. (laughs) But in the meantime, our house looks horrible, and the painter didn't prime or sand the trim or anything before painting because he said it didn't need it. Oh, man, that's so funny. I'm sorry to laugh, but (laughs) that's a good line. Yeah, it takes a year to harden. That's why you can't really, you got to wait. When a year goes by, this guy, this this painter's going to be even farther gone than he is right now. Look, this is not going to get any better. All of the paint needs to be removed. I hate to tell you this, but the painter did not do his job. The surface is going to need to be sanded and primed before another top coat is applied. I don't know exactly why it didn't stick, but I can tell you the prep is probably the number one reason. You shouldn't have to wait to see how this is going to pan out. It's probably it's bad right now, and it's probably due to the primer or, more importantly, the lack there of the primer. But you got to get down to solid surface, add a primer, and then repaint. So uh, I'm not sure if even if I would have this painter come back. Maybe you can negotiate a, a refund from the guy, uh, but you really need to get a pro. Go to HomeAdvisor.com, uh, read the reviews, find yourself a top-rated pro there. But this was done all wrong. This is the story of the one. 
As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, now we've got Chuck from L.A. who writes, I moved into my current house five years ago and have been taking on projects ever since. Now I want to tackle the master bathroom's window that has a crank, but I'm not really sure what the best way to go about fixing this is. Well, look, unless you know the brand of the window and go to the manufacturer for replacement hardware, you may need to replace the window, which is not as pricey as you fear, though. But before you do that, look at the window glass very carefully. If it's a thermal pane window in the corner, you may find that the manufacturer is actually stamped on the glass. I did that recently and was able to order cranks for a window that was 15 years old. Next up, Margo in Florida posted, I have an electronic air filter in my home, and I'm wondering how do I clean them? One dealer says vacuum because washing could cause corrosion and malfunction. Another says wash with water. I'd stop listening to dealers and start talking to the manufacturer. I mean, every manufacturer is going to have cleaning instructions for their particular product. But I will say that um, in some cases, you can take that entire coil out, that's the filter, put it in a dishwasher, run it through a cycle, and it's fine. But perhaps with a newer one where there's more electronic components to it. So stop listening to these heating and cooling dealers. Go right to the manufacturer's website. There ought to be a manual you can download. And I'm absolutely positive, Margo, it will have the accurate, up-to-date cleaning instructions for that particular product. You know, Margo, it's so great that you've got the electronic air filter in your home because it really does a great job of cleaning the air in your house. And it does a wonderful job so that you don't have to do all the cleaning as often of those filters. But definitely listen to what the manufacturer suggests because they know their model and their product best. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Thank you for spending this part of your day with us. We hope we've answered some questions that you had swirling around your head about how to improve your Money Pit. If you've got more questions, remember, you can reach out to us anytime you hear this program by calling 1-888-MONEY-PIT. If we are not in the studio, we will call you back the next time we are. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. 